As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Raising Daughters. Dr. Tim Jordan here. Every week I stop by here, or you stop by here, and I'm in your car, I'm with you when you're walking along the roads, taking a nice little exercise hike. Somehow you listen in, and I'm here to offer you some awarenesses and some understanding of what's going on for girls today, and to offer you some tools to better understand them and to better support them. So that they can become their best selves and so that you can remain an influence in their lives now and forever. I picked a topic today that I think will be of interest to you. And I struggled with the title. My initial title was How to Raise Kids to Become Miserable Adults. And I, I've always kind of liked that. But instead, I, I changed it to The Seven Habits of Highly Ineffective People going off the title of a book that I love by Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. So this podcast is going to be about the seven habits of highly ineffective people, i.e. some things that I see parents doing sometimes that are probably not in the best interest of raising kids to become their best selves. So seven habits. Let's start with number one. The first one is I see a lot of girls today in my counseling practice, in my weekend retreats, in my summer camps, who make choices and decisions primarily based upon not wanting to disappoint people, to please people, or to not piss people off. And that is an unhealthy habit for them to be in. When I see girls in my counseling practice who are stressed out or they're anxious, I oftentimes ask them about school and I'll ask them, you know, what kind of grades that they want. And, and a lot of them will look at me like, like you idiot. Of course, I want A's. But the follow-up question is important, which is, why do you want A's? And then they kind of fumble, most of them. I get a lot of them saying something about, I want to get good grades and get straight A's so I can go to a top college, so I can get a good job, so I can make a lot of money. And that's all about, I think, the cultural message of that's what's important which is going to a top college and making a lot of money. They also talk a lot about not wanting to disappoint people, disappoint their parents, their teachers. But a lot of them also will look at me and then they stutter because they don't really have an answer for why they want A's. If, if, I, if I tell them, take your parents for a moment and just kind of put them aside. I love your parents. 
They love you. They care about you. But just for a moment, let's put them aside. Let's put your teachers aside. Let's put your college counselor at high school aside. And why might you want to get the grades that you want to get? I.e., let's start you on the process of learning to think for yourself. Why might you want to go to college if you want to go? That's another question where I get a lot of blank stares. They give me the old, well, because I want to get a good job and make a lot of money. But they also give me this kind of like, I, because I, they've never really been thinking for themselves. I read a story in a book called The Right Words at the Right Time years ago. That book is by Marlo Thomas. By the way, it's a good book, The Right Words at the Right Time. These little short stories of, of people you would know of and how someone in their lives stepped up at the right time and said just the right thing that shifted their direction and that gave them some wisdom. This story is about a girl named Muriel who, as a young girl, moved with her family to Europe. I believe it was France. And that's where she learned to play soccer. And when she moved back with her family when she was in, I think, middle school, she was a stud. She was awesome. And she was the best player on her team, so they kept bumping her up. She was playing like two age levels above her real age and was still dominating. She ended up getting a four-year ride to college. And she recalled that one day the soccer coach asked her into his office and he sat her down like he was doing with all of the soccer players before the season started. And he said, you know, what are your goals for the season? And Muriel said, I want to be the best. And this coach said, oh, great. You want to be the best? He says, what, what do you mean by that? What does that mean? And then Mia did what a lot of girls do that I talk with, is she started to stutter. Well, I best, I, she didn't really have an answer. I think that answer was what she thought the coach wanted to hear, which is what she had been doing her whole life, which is pleasing other people, doing things for others. This coach apparently stood up, walked over to the light switch, and he turned the lights off, then he turned them back on, and he said, being the best is just a decision, but you have to make it each and every day for your reasons. And then he wisely walked out of the room to leave Muriel with her thoughts. And for the first time in her life, Muriel had a chance to think and reflect about why do I want to play soccer? What is this about for me? And she did decide that she did want to be a good soccer player. She did want to apply herself because she wanted to be on the World Cup team and she wanted to make uh, the, you know, the, college, the college championship kind of, kind of games. And she wanted to also make the Olympic team. And so she really started to apply herself. I think at that point she had been pretty much getting along based upon her talent. So she worked hard. And when she was in college at the University of North Carolina, Muriel won four national championships, and she was the captain of her team, I think, her last two years. She did make the, the World Cup team. She did make the Olympic team. She got two uh, Olympic gold medals. She also got she also won the, the uh, World Cup a couple times. And when she finally retired, Muriel was the, the highest scorer in women's international soccer history. Muriel was her uh, given name at birth, but we know her more as Mia Hamm. I want all of your daughters to have those moments where they step back from themselves and they start thinking about why do I want to do what I'm doing? 
whether it's being in theater or playing soccer like like Mia Hamm, whether it's being in the marching band, whether it's doing gymnastics, whether it's uh, choosing to go to college, choosing what grades you are, I want them to be looking inward and say, what is it, this about for me? I see a lot of girls in my counseling practice, kind of early, middle, high school oftentimes, who are burned out from their sports. They've been doing it since they were five years old, some of them, and, they, and some of them who are on one or two select teams at a time, and they're practicing three, four, five days a week. If they're gymnasts, it's six days a week. If they're, if they're synchronized skaters, it's the same kind of thing. And they're burned out because they're not doing it for them. If I ask them, you know, why are you doing this? You're miserable. You don't want to do it. You've told me you're done with this sport. Why do you keep doing it? And most of them will say, I'm afraid I'll disappoint everybody. I'll disappoint my parents. I'll disappoint my coaches. I'll disappoint my teammates. And so they just plug along, miserable as can be. Um, a lot of times I'll ask girls in my counseling practice, if when someone asks them, you know, where do you want to go out to dinner tonight? What movie do you want to go see? What do you want to do today? A lot of girls have an automatic response of, oh, I don't care. Whatever you want. And so they start to let go of their needs. And I, I tell them that if you do that a lot, if that's your automatic go-to, I don't care, whatever you want, you're teaching people that your needs are not important. And therefore, you are not important. Because we're always teaching other people how to treat us. So I want all of you listening to this to start asking your kids their reasons for doing everything. I want them to become self-motivated. I want them to have autonomy in their choices for if they're going to keep playing soccer, what kind of grades they want, etc. Because if they have autonomy, if they're doing things for their reasons, they'll become much more fulfilled with what they're doing and happier and more motivated. Let me relay a couple of stories of girls I've seen in the last few weeks in my counseling practice. One girl is 14. She's a what she called a pre-professional tap dancer, which I thought was interesting. And she was all stressed out, of course. And I said, well, why do you keep doing it? And she said, well, I like dance. I said, why do you like dance? What's it about for you? And she, she had to stop and pause for a minute to kind of look inward and say, why do I love dance? And what she said was, I love dance because it's fun. And I love the workout, and I love the creativity of it. And after a while, she said, I can do whatever I want out there with my feet, and then I feel so free. And she was beaming as she said that last statement. I feel so free. I saw a 16-year-old this past week. She's a synchronized skater at this very high level. She travels all the time, all over the country, doing these uh, competitions, I asked her why she does it, because she's practicing six days a week and she's gone most weekends. Um, and she's stressed out by her whole schedule and she's also got four AP classes, blah, blah, blah. So I said, why do you keep skating? And then she stopped after some contemplation and she said, I love the feeling of competing. It just makes me feel so alive. She said, it feels like I'm flying. And I get this huge adrenaline rush I love also how it feels to be on a team and to feel like we're all one. We're all pulling together. I remember a gymnast told me a long time ago, she was in middle school, 
and she was kind of stressed out and burned out. I said, well, why do you keep doing it? I said, what do you like about it? She said, well, my favorite thing is the floor exercise. Because at the beginning, I'm standing there in the corner, and all eyes are on me, and everything kind of stops. And I'm totally in the moment. And then when I start my routine, I get so into it. And she said, everybody's watching me. And then at the end, I get applause. She said, I love to perform. That's her internal motivation. That's her intrinsic good feelings for gymnastics. It has nothing to do with her parents, our gold medals, or anything else. It's about those feelings of being in flow. So my first habit I want you all to reconsider and to help your, your daughters with is to teach them how to make decisions and to make choices based upon what's best for them, based upon their reasons. Because if we don't, we're going to raise them to become miserable teenagers and adults. That's habit number one. Habit number two. We got to teach girls to stop buying into cultural myths. And let me mention two or three of them here. The first myth that I see that's causing a lot of girls to be miserable and stressed and anxious is this whole cultural idea that there is one path that all of you need to go on. You need to be a straight-A student all the way through grade school, middle school, and high school. You need to do activities just to make it look good on your college application. And you need to be on this path to go to a top college so you can end up out of college getting this top job at a, at a, a Fortune 500 or a Fortune 100 or a Fortune 50 company and make a lot of money. That's the path that you all need to be on. Everybody should go to college. Everybody should go to a top college, have, have straight A's, et cetera, et cetera. And that even includes when you're growing up being on the best teams, the best select teams, et cetera. That despite the fact that today, only about 30% of adults between the ages of 25 and 35 have a four-year degree. That's not the path for three-fourths of the people in their country. I'm not here to say that college is a bad thing. I have three adult children who are, uh, or three children who are adults, I guess I should say, who all have college degrees. Two of them have a master's. I think education and or training is really important after high school. But everybody doesn't fit on that path. Everybody's not geared for that path. So I want us to allow our our daughters to decide for themselves what is their path. How are they going to get there? I see girls who take some time off. I see girls who who want to go to uh, hair school, uh, uh, go to a hair salon and learn how how to cut hair or do nails or do makeup. There's all kinds of paths that they may want that aren't, quote-unquote, the standard. And I want us to support them. Otherwise, they're going to end up on this path that doesn't fit for them, and they're going to be miserable. Another cultural myth that I hear a lot of kids worried about and stressed about is they have this sense that if I make one wrong decision at this moment in my life, when I'm 16, 18, 20 years of age, If I make one mistake or make one bad decision, that my whole life is going to blow up. That I will be derailed and it's uh, unrepairable. So if I I pick the wrong college or I pick the wrong major or if I stop going to school for for a semester, if I make one quote-unquote mistake, my whole life will be screwed. And that is just not true. 
And if you don't believe me, then just look inward. I think every adult I've ever met made mistakes along the way, made some choices that they end up doing differently, whether it was schools or education or jobs or whatever, and they ended up just fine. Hopefully they learned from it and they moved on from it. But our kids are not hearing that. They need to hear that we made mistakes, that we had failures along the way. I've been working with some very successful entrepreneurs in the last 20 years, uh, all over the world, do, doing a lot of father-daughter retreats, sometimes father-son retreats. And I, I love talking to them about their life path, how they got to where they are. These are very, very successful people in their business worlds, in their business lives. They do all kinds of different things. And every one of them that I've ever met had some failures along the way. That's probably true of every entrepreneur. And it's okay. But our daughters don't hear that. Another, another, another cultural myth I want our daughters to rethink and for us to help them with is they are being bombarded every day with lots of advertising, which tells them that they're not enough. I teach girls in my retreats and my summer camps that when people are trying to sell you soda and makeup and all kinds of things, they're not really trying to sell you those products. What they're really selling you is the idea that you're not enough as you are. You need these products. You need this, this shampoo. You need to drink this soda. You need to, when they get older, to drink this beer. Because otherwise, you won't be able to hang out with these really cool people in the commercial. You're not enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not good enough. You need these things to be okay. That's what advertising is selling our kids. Those are the myths that they're buying into because they're bombarded with all those messages. And if girls buy into those messages, they will never be happy. They will always be miserable because they'll never feel like they're okay. There's no sense of contentment. The last um, myth I want to just talk about briefly because I want us to do it different with our daughters is the myth that there is like this one path also for what they're supposed to be like as girls and then as women. So as they're growing up, they're supposed to be good at the traditional quote-unquote female things. They're supposed to be pretty and thin and sexy and nice and obedient and helpful. They're supposed to be really good at relationships and empathetic and good at bonding and nurturing. They're supposed to be good girls who put other people's needs before theirs, make everybody happy, and they're supposed to be not too much out there, just not too much, keep it low, keep it in the down low. And even though it's it's the year 2022, that conditioning is still there, that good girl stuff. It's amazing that it's still there, but it is. What's also true today is that girls are also being conditioned to believe they're supposed to be good at the traditional male things or the boy stuff. They're supposed to be straight A's and be super a super athlete on the best teams. They're supposed to be winning scholarships to top colleges and be super competitive and, and super aggressive and assertive and ambitious and driven with this kind of winner-at-all-cost kind of attitude. Be willing to step on people to get to the top. They're supposed to be able to hook up just like guys do with, with, no, uh, with, no things that tie, with no, nothing tied to it. I saw a girl in my office several years ago who was all stressed out. And I, and I said, what's going on? She said, she said, I feel like every day when I wake up, I have to be amazing. I thought, that just about says it. And the last part, the last pressure, 
By the way, this I, I read about this a long time ago. There's a book called The Triple Bind by Stephen Hinshaw. Good book. But the, the third leg of this of this pressure was about that girls are conditioned to believe that they need to conform to a very narrow, unrealistic set of standards. So they're supposed to, as adult women, still look pretty and be thin and hot and sexy. And they're supposed to be uh, finding the perfect husband and be the perfect wife. And then, of course, the perfect mother with the 2.5 perfect children. While at the same time, they're supposed to be climbing to the top of their career ladder, making a ton of money, being the CEO of a top company. But they're also supposed to be maintaining all the relationships with their spouse, with their kids, with their with their friends, with their relatives, both sets of parents, neighbors, etc. Even women who break new ground still have to fit into the standard of looking hot. And they're supposed to do all of that and be successful and brilliant and make it look effortless. I do not want your daughters trying to measure up to that standard, that myth, if you will. So, habit number two, we need to make sure our daughters are not buying into those myths and to be able to set their own standards and to create their own path that fits for them. I'll talk about that more with a couple of these subsequent habits. Okay, habit number three. One of the things that will help to be ensure that your kids become miserable adults is that they're externally motivated. And I think all of our kids have been conditioned and programmed by their parents and by teachers and the educational system and by the culture. They've been conditioned to need things, to need people, to need to be accepted, to need to be approved of. They need to be appreciated and applauded and praised, and they need to be popular and successful and rich and good-looking. These are the drugs that our kids have been conditioned to swallow. I did a podcast on this about a year or two ago. I think it was called The Drugs of Approval. So look that up on my website, www.drtimjordan.com. I go into it more. But I think that is so true of our kids today. They've been drugged, not necessarily with heroin or weed. They've been drugged with, with the drugs of popularity, acceptance, praise, and approval. And they've developed attachments, which is a belief that in order for me to be happy, I need to be rich. I need to be famous. I need to be uh, beautiful. I need to have a beautiful partner. I need to have a great job. I need to go to an elite college. I need to be popular. I need to have lots of likes on social media. I need to be attractive and thin and hot. I need to be wanted by my dating partners. I need to be the best and be in the best club team. I need to win. I need to be important. I need to fit in and I need to to belong to the best groups. I think kids early on get a taste for these drugs and they become addicted to them. And then they dread losing them. Even if they become popular, even if they have a good a good, beautiful partner that they're dating, there's still that uh, sense of anxiety because they might lose them. It's hard for them to find motivation without those things. It's hard to find motivation from within. They're constantly anxious because they dread losing those things they're attached to. Are other people getting more of them, more praise? 
They compare themselves endlessly. So worried about, is somebody else going to take my spot and be considered more popular, more pretty, more whatever? And they become very dependent on other people for how they see themselves. They become way too externally focused. So if someone says, hey, you look great today. I love your outfit. Oh, they get, they get their self-esteem raised. They feel happy. But if someone criticizes them or they're judged negatively, someone says, you know, what's with that outfit? Oh, and they feel miserable. So their sense of themselves, their self-esteem goes up and down, up and down. And the problem is they are not in charge of it. They're, they're dependent upon other people to tell them if they're okay or not. The other problem with the, this habit, if you will, is that there's been some really good research that shows that if you are externally motivated, uh, Tim Kasser is the one who, uh, who's done the research I've read the most. He wrote a book called The High Price of Materialism, which I read years ago. Tim Kasser with a K, K-A-S-S-E-R. And what he found all over the world, I think he's t- it was he went to 30-something countries doing surveys. He ended up dividing people into two camps. One camp was people who were driven by externals. And what he meant by that was people who were driven by, motivated by becoming rich, being famous, looking good. Those are externally driven people in his research. And the people on the other camp were people who were more driven internally by things like uh, making a difference, doing things that are meaningful, being of service to other people, making sure you have good balance in your life and you have healthy relationships. And what he found is that people who were externally motivated all over the world were miserable, less happy, less fulfilled, more anxiety, more depression, all the poorer relationships, poorer marriages, all the bad things they had more of because of, not because of what they were doing, but because of why they were doing it. So for habit number three, I do not want our our daughters to be buying into all that cultural conditioning and those standards. I want them to be self-motivated. I want them to become aware of those drugs of approval, appreciation, praise, etc. So they don't get they don't fall into becoming dependent upon other people for are they okay? We talked to our kids about this, I remember when they were growing up. And I remember I believe it was middle school. I remember sitting outside with my wife in the hallway waiting for a parent teacher conference with one of uh, our kids' teachers. I remember a, a mom came by, all frantic, trying to collect money from parents because she wanted to buy more rewards to give kids to get them to, to you know, show up more and to, and to study more and to get better grades. I remember my and I looked at each other like, are you kidding me? I'm not going to pay for that. I think that's horrible. And we told our kids about it. They laughed because we conditioned them differently to not buy into that. I want you to do the same thing. So your, your daughters don't become miserable. Habit number four that might make your kids grow up to become miserable teenagers and adults. And that is following the cultural script. I want your family and your kids and you as parents to begin with the end in mind. That is one of Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective people. Remember I heard a story a long time ago. I can't remember where I read this, but it was about Walt Disney. And apparently, and this is a true story, apparently a young man was working at Disneyland uh, in the early days, 
And he often heard from some of the older employees a story about how the, 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 the Disneyland park was constructed. And these construction guys, the accountants, the architects all agreed that to keep the cost down, the Sleeping Beauty Castle, which was supposed to be visible from everywhere in the park, they wanted to build it last. Well, when Walt Disney heard of this cost efficiency scheme, he insisted that the Sleeping Beauty Castle be built first because he said it's going to provide a vision for the rest of the park and that its image will remind all the workers on a daily basis what was meant to happen within that park. Well, despite his busy schedule, Walt Disney regularly toured the park, offering encouragement to his, to his employees. And one day this young man asked Disney if that legendary story was true. And Disney said, look up towards that Sleeping Beauty castle and tell me what you see. The young man did that, and after a moment he replied, what I see is imagination. Walt Disney put his hand on the young man's shoulder and he said, Now, you tell me if that story is true. I want you and your kids together to create an end in mind for what's important. What does your family value? What's important to you as people? Uh, we did a family mission statement when our kids were probably in grade school-ish, middle school-ish, I remember a long time ago, Ann and I used to run a weekend retreat for families. And that was one of the exercises we did, which was create a family mission statement. And we all agreed in our family that downtime and time together was important. So that's, that end in mind was one of the things that helped us to make the tough choices about, are we going to add more activities? And one of the things that our kids and Ann and I all agreed to was one sport a season. Because we felt like with three kids, if you know they're all doing two, that's six things, that's a lot of driving around, and then there's no time for family dinners, etc. I remember one time when my uh, one of my sons who played ice hockey, when he was in about mm, sixth or seventh grade, I was one of the assistant coaches on his team. And, and hockey, if, if any of you are hockey parents, is a long season. Tryouts are in August, we start the practices in late August, and then the season isn't over until like early, middle March. And I remember my son, after the season was over, wanted to start playing spring hockey. And we reminded him that the agreement was one sport a season because he also played spring baseball. And I remember him being upset because all everybody in the team, all of his friends were playing spring hockey. And, and I think for the first time in the history of the world, he was right. Everybody was playing spring hockey from his team. And we held firm. We said we all agreed one sport a season. So you and you've just had eight, well, not eight months. You've just had four or five, six or seven months of hockey, and we think it's good to play other sports. And so, and he loved baseball. So he, we finally said no, nope, no spring hockey. Now, years later, fast forward. I remember when he was in college, he actually thanked us. This is true. He thanked us for holding the fort because he said, "There's a bunch of of his." Uh, uh, friends in college who'd only played one sport. And so he, my son, was able to play all kinds of intramural sports because he had done all kinds of different sports growing up. I felt like it was really a benefit to him. Now, it would have been very easy for us to go along with what everybody else was doing and allow him to play spring hockey. But we weren't following that script because we had to create our own script, our own end in mind. And we use that family end in mind, our values, what we had decided together, 
That's what we use to guide us to make those kinds of decisions. And I want you to do the exact same thing with your family. Take the time to create an end in mind with your kids and use that to make your choices. As you can probably tell from my voice and my enthusiasm, I love talking about these topics. And we're like 31 minutes in. And so I think I don't want this to get too long. So I think what I'm going to do is stop here after habit uh, four and save habits five, six and seven for the podcast for next week. So a little teaser. If you want to hear the, the other three ooh, and they're really good, then come back uh, to Raising Daughters in a week and you'll get uh, the rest of this this topic of the seven habits of highly ineffective people, i.e., uh, things that you might do to raise kids who are miserable. Um, so hopefully this was enjoyable. Hopefully you're learning something. Hopefully this will will move you, motivate you to action. Because I know you don't want to raise kids to become miserable adults. So I'll be back here in a, in a week with, uh, with part two of the seven habits of highly ineffective people. And if you like it, pass these on. If you have feedback for me, you know, send it to uh, through my website at www.drtimjordan.com. I like getting feedback. Uh, good are, are things that you want me to do different or things that you maybe don't agree with, which is fine. But I do appreciate you stopping in. I appreciate it when people say that they heard about this through a friend. I really do appreciate that. So feel free to do that. I'll be back here with part two of the seven habits of highly ineffective people uh, next week. I'll see you then. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.